you are being watched. The government has a secret system, a podcast that recounts every episode of Person of Interest. I know, because we made it. We designed the podcast to continue our bullshit, but we see everything. Random numbers of the week. People like you. Episodes the average viewer deems irrelevant. You wouldn't watch it, so we did. But I needed partners. Someone who had never watched this before. Hunted by weirdos on the internet, we record in secret. You will never find them. But, newbie or diehard, if your episode's up, we will find you. Hello, and welcome to the library for Podcast of Interest. This is a rewatch podcast for Person of Interest, featuring two veteran operatives and one newly initiated. My name is Justin, and joining me are my two associates, my veteran operative Jude, and our new recruit, Anna. Uh, Jude, Anna, what's the fanciest hotel you've ever stayed at? Ooh. I think it was like an Omni in San Francisco, which I realize is not particularly fancy, but it was it was pretty nice. And I just want to clarify for Jude, if we, if we want to do this, Airbnbs do not count. <laughs> I Let's think here. I stayed at a very nice hotel in London once uh, because my dad is an idiot and doesn't know how to plan travel. And so he didn't really have a lot of choice of hotels on that trip. And for one night, and then I stayed in, there's a really not the hotel that uh, we stayed in when I got married was very cool. It's up in the Berkeley Hills. It's, you've probably seen it, Justin, when you are coming down from, God, what is that? When you're coming uh, over from Oakland into Berkeley, it's that like, big white mansion-y looking hotel. I think I know like, what you're talking about. And it's got like the to- the tower. Okay, it's I think like, it's not I like think, hoity, but it's it's cool. Yeah, it's not. Uh, I I think I know what you're talking about. Like I've gone to once in five years. All right. A uh, uh, follow up question. So Airbnbs do not count. Do regular BNBs count? Sure. Like I just I just say like if you are paying to stay in someone, if you're paying to stay in someone's house and you're not sure how legal it is, it doesn't count. <laughs> because I've also been in a very nice like actual b&b not not airbnb cabin head and it was like a very like rustic writer cabin kind of feel um the like all like hand-hewn oak furniture and the bed was like four feet off the ground Great. <laughs> also they gave us a bottle of wine nice i once spent an entire game session looking up silly fancy Hotels. I GM that session. <laughs> that was one of the best times I've had gaming in in recent memory. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, looking up like presidential suites of like random Central European hotels. Actually, a very fun experience. We found some bananas stuff. Some countries were deeply disappointing, but some of them really delivered. Yeah, there was the one that was like everything was white marble and gilt. That was pretty good. Yeah, there comes a certain point when you're looking up like the top tier of hotels, presidential suites and stuff. And you're just like, is this meant for like head of state visits? It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, speaking of heads of state and other one percents. Um, yeah, we're covering two episodes tonight. Uh, episodes 14 and 15 of season two. One percent and booked solid. Um, I think Jude has our first one, so take us away. Episode 
14, season two, is called 1%. It is written by Denise and Melissa Scrivener-Love, directed by Chris Fisher. Uh, Our number this week is Logan Pierce, a thinly-veiled Mark Zuckerberg analog who somehow is more of a douche yet comes off as more appealing than the original. Uh, It's quite the feat. He is the CEO of not Facebook, Friendzar, with the incredibly annoying spelling of friend, lowercase c, uppercase z, a-r, which the subtitles on HBO insisted on spelling that way every single time. And I found it extraordinarily fucking annoying. Anyway, it turns out he's been cheating on his own company with a woman who is suing them with the intent of creating a new one. This has led his business partner and for and fellow founder, Justin, no relation, uh, to try and kill him. <laughs> Preventing this is difficult, however, since he's a total shitheel and he makes John work for every inch, including following him to Russia. No, he abducts John to take him to Russia. Like that, that six that, of we- one, half a dozen the other. In the end, they do manage to save him. Uh, but not before he gets very suspicious of their operation and tries to plant a bug on John, a very expensive watch, which Finch casually crunches on uh, under his heel. Uh, in our flashback, we see Nathan breaking the news of 9-11 to Finch. And then eight years later, after it's been finished and shipped out for its ultimate destination, Nathan again confronts Finch about the irrelevance. And after he is rebuffed, he takes a gun with the intent to try and save one of them. And then doesn't. Yeah, and then fails. This is an episode that I like. I want to feel like I want to hate on, like, principle. But Jimmy Simpson is actually really good in this. Yeah, I was going to say, I want to start. The first thing I want to start with is that Logan Pierce is played by a noted Nolan uh, collaborator via Westworld, uh, Jimmy Simpson, who you probably know better as the ungrizzled version of the man in black um, from Westworld. Uh, and he is great in this. He is, I think, I, this version of Mark Zuckerberg, who is a bigger asshole, somehow comes across as more likable. Yeah. I think the thing with his character that saves him is Mark Zuckerberg does not seem like he has a personality or at least anything. He doesn't seem to have any redeeming qualities <laughs> at, yeah. at all whatsoever and is like a void of personality. But at least this dude is interesting. Yeah, he's interesting and he is deeply unsatisfied with his life. Yeah. Like he just he wants to always be moving on to something else or be experiencing something. And like making Facebook wasn't enough for him. Yeah. And the difference is that he is the person who like he cares about people and the fact that like that his business partner it just keeps buying up their competitors is deeply unsatisfying to him. Yeah. And I'll point out as well that it's not that he's like dissatisfied and wants to keep moving on to new things because he wants to keep making money. It's that like, yeah, he's it's that he's bored and wants to like try something new and create something that that like it's he's, he doesn't actually seem to be in it for the money that that almost seems to be like a side effect. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I complain about a lot when I go on my periodic rants about the Bay Area is that, and this probably will mark me as an old, so deal with it if you're uh, one of the people that doesn't view it this way. But 
I grew up in the Bay Area, and when I was growing up there, there was very much a culture of like technological sort of frontier spirit. You had all these companies that were like chasing the Apple dream. Two nerds in the garage who built something and made a fuck ton of money. But it was two nerds in the garage who made something, and then they made a fuck ton of money. And for a long time, that was the ethos. You had a, a lot of people in shitty warehouse-like offices just trying to make something cool. And then the first dot-com bubble came around. And it brought in this tidal wave of finance bros investors and it changed the atmosphere out there and it became a an atmosphere of people who were there to make money exploiting the technological class who then in turn exploited the lower classes service tier if you would like to hear another uh some some detailed thoughts on this um listen to our sister podcast the complete discography uh next month when we talk about uh, going postal. Yep, I was, <laughs> I was just about to say that these this dovetails very nicely. Yeah, interesting. Uh, um, interesting. Who, who was it that who was ranting about the uh, degradation of the of the uh, entrepreneurial culture in the Bay Area? There, uh, Terry Pratchett. Yep. Um, oh, right. It's it's it is a book that it's is Terry man. It is a book that is written in two thousand four that feels very deeply as like somebody who is who saw the dot-com bubble burst and who saw the vulture capitalism and um, had a lot of angry thoughts about it. Fascinating. Okay. I will have to read that. Then. Yeah. yeah. You, you will also really love the protagonist. This is one of those episodes where it's like, Oh, the number is hard to track because they're doing something because he has more money and he can't sit in one place for 10 seconds. And John's like, okay, I'll try to appeal to like being like him. And he's like, Oh no, hedge fund thing didn't go in. So he throws a Krav Maga trained ex Mossad operator through a door and <laughs> is like, Hey, somebody's going to try to kill you. I'm going to protect you for the next 48 hours. Yeah. And and then the dude is like, ooh, that's interesting. Tell me more. Yeah. Basically, he's like a toddler. Yeah. Like, whatever's shiny and interesting is what's going to keep him. Also, I feel like this is his audition for Westworld, right? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. He, and I, the thing I love about, about um, Pierce is he doesn't figure out that the machine exists, but he knows that something is going on. Yeah. And I, I find that very fun. We're going to see a little tiny, tiny bit more friends are, but um, <laughs> like, I think most of the time we're going to see it in like backgrounds of shots or like placeholder images. Yeah. I find the character really interesting because it's, it's a little dip into like a pool of stuff that I don't think I'm quite ready to run with yet with the machine because they've got other stuff they need to spin around. Yeah, I have I have another thing to comment on with Pierce that I feel like makes him more interesting than your average like one percenter character, uh -huh. which is his his whole thread of like identifying the best of something and then having one of the something and having it be the best. Yeah, that he's not he's not like collecting endless sports cars or like, you know, et cetera. He just has like one tesla or whatever the was it a tesla 
Okay. I looked I, I looked it up because I was curious. Yeah, he just has the one extremely fancy car. Um yep. and the one extremely fancy watch. And like the money allows him to have the one best of everything, but but I appreciate that he's not just like collecting stuff for the for the purposes of having lots of stuff. It yeah. makes him a little bit more interesting. He wants to be cutting edge. He doesn't want to he doesn't even really want to possess things. He wants to just see what's new and best and, and what's the cutting yeah. edge, um, which is it's an interesting like little thing. Of, I think if I think if he was like in the 50s or 60s, he'd be like a Howard Hughes type or mm-hmm. like I, if you want to. He's almost like he is Tony Stark transposed into like the person of interest universe. He's Stark as a collector. I mean, like he or like the ideal of Tony Stark as like an inventor yeah. And creator. Yeah. Yeah. He's an interesting character. This is a weird episode because it's we have this character who's kind of interesting, but he as a as an episode, this is such a weird bridgey episode. Yeah, because there's this is one that there are these two episodes between Dead Reckoning and Relevance are sort of an exhale before we get the next big mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a good way of putting it. But they're both solid episodes. Yeah, they're both solid episodes. I, I, I enjoy both of them. This one, I, yeah. I don't know why, but I usually skip 1% on a rewatch. I don't know why. Same. Um, I, I think it might just be like, I can't handle Facebook. I can't handle Facebook as like a, a plot point. For me, at least, it's because relevance is so fucking good. That I have no interest in any, like, once I wrap up the man in the suit arc, I'm just, like, full speed ahead. I don't, like, I am not in filler episodes to get to relevance. <laughs> See, I think I think that they're good. I think that, like, at least I, I, I usually watch Book Solid because it's an interesting, fun little thing. It also gives time to breathe. And I am always a fan of appropriate pacing. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> You gotta have you gotta have the you gotta have the, the quiet moments. Uh, as like book solid as we'll talk about isn't really a quiet moment, but it's like it's a it's an exhale. Yeah, yeah, I think exhale is a really good way of putting it. And and this is one where like on paper it seems like we should hate it, but but it's fun and like it works. There's a fun little subplot here that bears depressed. Yeah, yeah. and they like don't give a reason for it ever. Like it's just it's happening in the background. Like bear doesn't chase the ball. My hair on Thursday, but like at the end of the episode, they put them on, they take them on a play date. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and like I mean, I think that Harold actually does figure out the answer that it's not necessarily the play date, but the that that bear is like lonely and needs a dog friend to play with. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he he's like he t- he's talking to John and being like, I've read that you know when there's stress in the household, it can make dogs you know upset. And John's like, hmm, I wonder what's been stressful. <laughs> yeah. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what's been stressing. And I think that, like, like you said, it's the exhale. And I think that, you know, so gives both of them a chance to exhale as well. And I think that that also probably helps Bear, um, who, mm-hmm. like, probably does sense that they've been, like, upset and certainly knew that john wasn't around for a while yeah Mm -hmm. poor buddy 
This this does have a couple of like hilarious bits though. There's the <laughs> there's the line there's a line when uh Reese like busts in Kool-Aid man style to um like be like, You're in danger and I'm gonna save your life. Uh, he says something like Usually we just help behind the scenes. I'm like, since when? Since when, right? <laughs> since it's when? Not since like early season one have these guys managed to stay on the DL on the reg like regularly. Yeah. Yeah, they, they do not. Subtlety they is. Always, they always meet the number. I think that they're, um, the, the, the funny one for me is uh, John bidding $10 million. Uh, J- oh, yeah. John bidding $10 million. <laughs> On like Albert Einstein's correspondence, and Harold just being like, "This is not petty cash." <laughs> so we we have finally found the number that will make Harold flinch. Yeah, there's also there's also the the scene with the emergency intubation Whoa. where where you. Uh, yeah. I think this might be the honestly the most impressive thing that John does in the show so far. Yeah, actually, because well, first thing like. You think it's going to be the emergency trach, right? Um, but it's probably best for everybody that's not. Yeah. But also, like, intubating people is from, I am led to believe from my friends who are MDs, not an easy thing. Um, yeah. I can't because, imagine it's easy with somebody who is, like, presently choking. Yeah. Yeah. Like, not somebody with- choking. He's going in, his his throat is in the in the process of swelling shut due to an allergic mm-hmm. reaction. So it's yeah. like getting it down, getting it ra- down the right pipe is the part that's difficult. That it's easy to yeah. get it mm-hmm. down. Especially into when the that stomach. pipe is like, Boop. yeah, um, yeah. So the, yeah, the, good the, radio. Was, I'm gesturing, uh, you know, the the narrowing aperture there. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's yeah. I mean, like honestly, like I, I think it is one of the most impressive things he does, just because it's like, huh, you have you have not shown the skill before, and honestly, it's more impressive than shooting anybody. Yeah, well, I was just gonna say, you know how he would trach somebody? He'd probably be like, "All right, hold really still. I'm gonna like shoot a hole in your throat and then try and trach somebody with a silenced nine millimeter." Oh God! <laughs> oh, we got to talk about this because this is important. So, in this episode, we start a trend of set screens that happen when we come back from commercial or in the opening of a show of an episode um which are they are they're literally like uh there are a couple frames because you have to in american television you have to shit you cannot flash anything for less than a certain amount of frames for like seizure purposes but there are some blue screens with text on them and what these are um is they are they're screens full of numbers and greek letters um, that get converted into ASCII hexadecimal. Once you get to those, they have um, messages in them, um, text. So uh, we get three screens in this episode. The first is Lady Macbeth, um, and I will. Um, we're not in the theater, but I still I, the Scottish play. Uh, but it is the out <laughs> damned spot line. Uh, huh out damn spot out i say one two why then tis time to do it hell is murky fie my lord fie a soldier interfered what need we fear who knows it when none can call our power to account yet who would have thought the old man to have had so much blood in him 
The second one is an excerpt from the National Institute of Health's bioterrorism page. Interesting. And the third is also from the National Institute of Health. It is from their page on anthrax. Interesting. Just a little light reading. I find this very funny that the first, like, two of the first three are, are dangerously close to your job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like that, I was like, I didn't check these before, before recording, and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Um, although I, I work in neither bioterrorism nor anthrax. Yeah. See, I, I have a theory on these, and we'll see if I'm right, I guess. Okay, let's hear it. Um, let's hear it. I think it's Root trying to communicate with the machine. Interesting. I think that feeding in inputs in some way and seeing if if slash how she can get a response interesting mm. that i think that root has figured out how to input things like how the, how the machine receives information and is inserting information into its feeds because it's always in the middle of like one of the one of the machine view screens right um they're, at least that i've noticed them they don't look uh, yeah i mean they sort they, they enter they sort that's what they, they're cut into yeah, though. they're cut into those yeah yeah they're cut into those and i feel like my suspicion is that it is re- inserting that information into a feed that's going into the machine and we're just happening to happening to oversee you know also see it interesting okay that's my that's my theory yeah we will Only s- time will tell whether I'm right. We will see as we get closer to the to the activation point. Of, uh, we'll see if your theory changes. All right. All uh, right. Uh, we got anything else you want to talk about this one? No, I'm really excited to hear you try and pronounce the names of the writers for this next episode. Yeah, we so do this. We do this like every other week. You've you've done these names before, so. Yeah, we're we're doing uh, season two, episode fifteen, book solid, written by. Nick Van Zeebroek and Michael Sapinski, directed by Frederick E.O. Toy. Nice. That was pretty well done. Yeah, I just, I, you gotta, yeah, I just, you know. It was at the very least confidently done. Yeah, it was confidently done. That's the important part. You just close your eyes and lie back and think of England. I'm not, I'm not sure that's what confidence is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> our number this week is Mira Debrica, a maid at a high-end New York hotel. Harold is undercover as a concierge, and while John is working as a bellhop, Mira is a refugee from the Kosovo War who is caught up in knowledge of the hotel's illegal escort operations. She is also in a fight with a journalist named Charles Harris who is staying at the hotel, a foreign correspondent who is researching a Serbian prime ministerial candidate, Rudka Petrovic, uh, who murdered Mira's family. Petrovic has sent a hotel to hunt Mira as she was a witness to it. John saves Mira from one of the gunmen, but they're able to get to Harris. John is able to rescue Mira from a hostage situation and recover the evidence before turning her over to Fusco. And then our B-plot intervenes. Our B-plot involves the McTerminator. The Office of Special Counsel calls him after he gets out of Rikers and that something has gone wrong with the source since John attacked a DOD facility. When shit go down Shit goes down at the hotel. Uh, Hearst shows up and sticks up John. They fight across a kitchen. And what I would say is probably one of the like most memorable fights in the show. John stabs him and warns him to back off and leaves him with just like, you know, bleeding. Uh, Carter's <laughs> own in this episode involves Donnelly's recommendation that she receive a field assignment. 
However, during the special, during like the polygraph test, the FBI agent asks about her relationship with Beecher, and it's revealed that he's being investigated by Internal Affairs. Her offer for the NB, her offer to join the FBI is rescinded. As she is ruminating, the last hitman tries to kill Mira in witness protection, and Carter shoots him dead. Petrovich is arrested and put on trial in the hog. Uh, no war crimes. No war crime porn for this one. This is actually a this is a real war, so we don't celebrate yeah. war crime. We don't celebrate real war crimes. The floor man also arrested for his escort service, and John and Zoe have a drink at the bar before he flashes her the card to the penthouse. Back in DC, we have one more. <laughs> How thing. much would you not want to be the people that have to clean that room? Cool. You know, you, you ever see those things with like the UV lights over a hotel room? You've just got to like. You got to aliens that shit. Nuke it from orbit. That's I wasn't even thinking about that. Sure. I was just thinking about like every piece of furniture is either broken or has had somebody tied to it. <laughs> DC, we have one more thing. Uh, the McTerminator reports back to the OSC from the hospital and the special counsel has a file delivered uh, by his assistant, Miss May, who, as it turns out, is rude. This is such a bananas episode. There's so much wild yeah, stuff no, going on in this episode. Yeah. For like, uh, for like, I don't know. This is, it's not a bottle episode, but like, it's like, oh, hey, we're doing a number that's restricted to sort of like one location. There's so yeah. much going Yeah. Well, I imagine that's why it was restricted to one location, because they spent so much money on everything else going on in this episode. They were like, we do not have a budget for location shoot this up this month yeah which so. honestly i do love like like this one location the hotel is very like thematic yeah 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 it works well, really well a wild hotel though yeah. like j- just in this hotel you've got war criminal investigations a prostitution ring this uh her shows up like they've seen some stuff and then whatever godforsaken things john and zoe do and like, oh, and harold buys the hotel at the end of the episode i forgot about that and, and yeah and sets up the the number as uh the manager yeah. making her one of the few numbers that actually ends up better at the end of the at the end of the episode yeah I, another thing that we should be tracking is like you know, so how many yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry I, I, sorry who has a like who has like who comes out of who this ends better? up better off at the end yeah 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 i I, I, I shouldn't make that i shouldn't use that term in a like an escort service operation <laughs> oh a lot of happy endings in that hotel I, but yeah i feel like we should be tracking like because we've got the numbers where things go things seem to go back to normal for them there's the numbers where things end up worse where they have to go into hiding or like have a new identity or something mm-hmm. um and there's the numbers who end up better who are far rarer than the other groups definitely this is this is a fun episode though yeah, yeah. i would i mean that really is the right word for it is it's it's just fun there's all kinds of wacky stuff going on and yeah oh I have a funny, there's a funny reference to our least favorite episode of this one. Really? Harold recommends the steakhouse. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. As the, like, as, as a place to go to one of, to a couple of the guests. Wow. And it's like, we're really uh, referencing this episode. Okay, fine. Whatever. It's a, it's a connected universe. Yeah. 
And this is another one where it's, I enjoy the ones where you're not sure what the threat is because there's multiple potential threats. This is the first one we've had in a while um, because it's really not clear, like, whether the threat is the, um, you know, the hotel manager who's running the uh, escort ring or whether it's, you know, the, the, war crimes thing from the past or whether it's both like that that it takes it takes a while for the episode to reveal like what the actual threat is yeah yeah which is a, it's a cool thing it, it's we, we don't we haven't yeah. gotten one of those in a while where it's where's that coming from the last one that was like, really memorable for me was get carter actually hmm. in terms of being like unclear what the threat was hmm. yeah i really like this episode I forgot it. I have I haven't watched it in a while. I've forgotten kind of details of this episode, so I really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, it's it's a fun one. Like they, the number is the the number. Like I don't. I think she does her role very well, and like I think that there's a like little bit of. I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. She definitely feels like oh yeah, she's just been stuck in a really bad situation. Um, yeah. Yeah, she does. She does the right thing and comes out the better for it, which is honestly love it. Yeah, I remember the first time I watched this. I remember thinking how preposterous it was that the fact that Carter was like casually dating what's his name would be enough for her to be disqualified from the FBI. <laughs> Except, and then uh, a couple of years ago, my sister-in-law's fiance had his security his security Harold he works in material science for NASA or something like that and he had a security clearance imperiled because her dad's wife is from uh the Philippines and that was it yeah not that she's done anything wrong they were trying to get a green card yeah and that the fact that she was trying to get a green card was enough to make like for it to take like two or three times as long for him to renew his security clearances at work. He, he he had to do like paperwork for two weeks and couldn't work on any of the, like his usual pro- projects or something like that. I mean, he's like only two weeks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause those things can take way longer. Yeah. It, but it was just wild to me that it was like that remote of a fucking thing. And so like the fact that her boyfriend is, being investigated by IA. Yeah, okay, that checks out. Like Yeah. So, um I also really like I mean, John and Zoe's interactions in this episode is also very good. Yeah. And I, I think I think the security clearance thing there would be I think it's a case where if, if I'm surprised dude, it wasn't the weed question that got her smoked out honestly. Actually, well, that's that's one of the things where from what I understand um what they're looking for is whether you lie or not, not whether you've done it. I thought it used to be a disqualifying thing, but I, I, I know that's been, I know that they've like changed that in recent years, but I, but that might just be like my secondhand knowledge of that. Yeah. Um. From what, from what I understand, they tend to be looking more for things, things that would be potential blackmail. Um, mm. And so if you say that you've never used weed, but then it comes out through the extensive background checks that you did, that would be the disqualifier. But if you say that you did, but no longer do, but not necessarily the disqualifier. 
because what the because then then if you're admitting it, you can't be blackmailed on it. Mm-hmm. Fair, yeah. That's that's my understanding, at least. Um, Interesting. At least in modern times, but the I think it was I think it's probably also something where um, it was Donnelly who was really pushing for the mm-hmm. uh, for Carter to be offered the FBI slot, and I think you know what's his face, the new dude. I think his name is, is like, Moss. Well. Yeah, he's like offered this and we like like follow up because you weren't offered this and I can't just rescind it out yeah. of nowhere. Well, I mean, he he's like he seems like pretty enthusiastic at originally. But he's but he's not like he doesn't seem like he's enthusiastic enough to really go to bat for her. Yeah, I mean, it's there's none yeah, of the personal relationship there, but he's like, "Oh, hey, Donald a little weird, but he like thought highly of you, so I mean, I'm I'm prepared to go through with this." Right. Yeah. But like he hadn't he hadn't like worked with her personally and stuff like that, that if there was more of a relationship and he had like firsthand ex- firsthand knowledge of how good she was, et cetera, then then he might have like, you know, pushed yeah. to push to get it pushed through. But I think that it was a sort of point of like, not quite this was a formality, but eh. no, I think, you know, yeah. I think because it wasn't really I agree with your read on it that he. He doesn't he care was, enough to put capital on it. Yeah. 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 He he wasn't invested in Carter the way that Donnelly was. Right. Like, oddly, I think that, like, if Donnelly hadn't gone off, off the deep end and then gotten murdered, uh, Donnelly probably, probably would have gone to bat for her. Mm-hmm. I don't think, uh, so one thing that I love in this episode is the fight between um, Hirsch and John. It's not particularly long, but they both, it's like they're both of... They, they are in a kitchen, which is possibly the best place to have like an improv. Yeah, it's it's one of those like improv- improvisational close quarters fights that are always a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it's it's messy, it's tight. Um, like I don't like the fight choreography isn't amazing, but it does its job well, and it's like just the body motions and stuff. It's like you do get the feeling that Hirsch and John are on the same level. Yeah. Which is which is cool. There aren't like there aren't too many people who like credibly feel like a threat to John on their own. Yeah. 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 He often he he often seems like he, he sometimes will get like overwhelmed and every now mm-hmm. and then someone will get a good hit in, but it it rarely feels like John is th- John's life is threatened. Yeah. And Hirsch always feels that way. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is great. I I I it's he really is the dark version of John. He does the we're not so different, you and I, except without being like stereotypical about it. He's just like, we're the same yeah. kind of dudes. We get shit done because we're ordered to do it. And honestly, I don't <laughs> think John John really doesn't have a point where he like disobeys orders that often. Um uh, except for except for getting locked up. I, that's that's really the big yeah. one where he like oh you've activated my weakness for for veterans and now I must help you do a heist. He has a self destructive streak that he often finds himself in conflict with Finch over. Mm-hmm. I like the note you have here, Justin. Action Fusco. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, where where he takes down two hitmen and he's just like he actually like he lands in a good hit and shoots a guy and I'm like. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. And that's that's along with my other like favorite Fosco moment where he I think Harold even told him that there was a body in that suitcase. Yeah. Um and yet he he opens the su- suitcase just a little bit and looks inside and just like, "Oh, jeez." Yeah. The "Oh, jeez" is really good. I do have a I do have a question that's like perhaps broader, but it like kind of came to the forefront of my attention in this one, um, yeah. which is, so how on earth does Harold focus when he's listening to apparently every all times? Apparently he has like none of the audio sensitivities that I do. <laughs> that yeah. like, theoretically I, I mean, he's listening to, listening in on like, John and the number and Carter and Fosco or something or like or has he sort of like programmed to detect when there's some sort of like interesting audio and feed it to him? I think he must keep them all at like a low volume and he he must just be like you know how they some people can like watch multiple TV shows at one time. <laughs> yeah. Like I think he must just be able to sort of tune it out and then his brain will sort of like twig to something going on that he needs to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. What I want to know is, do you think he like turns down that audio when like John and Zoe are trashing the presidential suite? I just assume that he has like, like he just mutes it until like, or he just like puts it on for like like meets it for like three hours or something or whatever. Or he's just like, you can turn it off until like John calls him again or something. I I could also see him like having some sort of algorithmic, algorithmic thing, thing yeah. that yeah. essentially works as a noise filter because I mean he built the goddamn machine. Yeah. Yeah. For all we know, he has another AI that does that, that does the listening for him and highlights when st- important honestly that would, it would not, not at all me. be outside of his it would not be outside of his abilities mm-hmm. i mean he 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 designed an ai that can take like millions of information feeds and you know pull out the pull out you know interesting connected information i think he could build something that could take like up to four audio feeds and pull out relevant information but it was just highlighted here because it's like he's he's listening in on Carter and everybody else like while he's doing his job as the concierge. And it's just wild to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of their job is probably like he's like, oh, Carter is talking to random co-worker and eh, I can tweet out of that. John, John seems like he does not talk for hours at a time, which honestly love that. that was, <laughs> you know, I do that on the weekends. Like I will go. Da- I, I I can go like a day without talking to other people. You know, so I feel like that. That's funny. But, um, oh yeah, let's talk about our codes for this week. Um, so we have, um, our first one, which is, it is from CNN. Um, it is dated August 6, 2001. And it's the start of an article, Bin Laden determined to strike in U.S. Hmm. The second one, uh, it is Revelation 16, and I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. And the first went and poured upon the earth, and there fell the noisome and greasome sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. <laughs> and finally, this the, the last one, 
um, is from the CIA's website, which is about types of chemical weapons. Interesting. So yeah, we have a a um, a, a note from thirty five uh, thirty six days before nine eleven about the threat of Bin Laden. We have we have a quote from Revelation, and we have chemical warfare descriptions from the CIA's public website. Hmm. Very interesting. So thus far, I have seen. Uh, I've watched up to the the. I have not watched the last episode of season two, but I've watched up till that point. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, goody. So I'm sure they will be revealed to me when I probably when I watch the next episode. Uh, do we have anything else to say about this episode? Um, I think we are good. All right. Lana, you? I, I think I'm good. This was, this was a fun episode. I enjoyed it. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So next time we are only going to be covering one episode. Um, because I think this is sort of one of the most important episodes of the series in general. Um, we are going to be covering episode 16 of season two. Until next time, you are being The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share alike no derivatives license. That came over perfect on my end, so Oh, it was way off on mine. So Great. Yeah, I love that. Because we because we did I did one, two, three, clap, and I think both of you did one, two, three, clap. Oh, no, I did two, three, wait a second, and clap. Like, I think we all clapped at different points, so. Good luck, Zathras.